Welcome to another mini-sode. Today, we are going to get into a topic that we've hinted at on Rural Health Rising many times before, but now we're really going to get into the issue of the sinister side of how rural hospitals and healthcare providers get swallowed up, the tactics, the process, and often the complete lack of concern for the health outcomes of rural Americans. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. So, J.J., we're going to get into this topic today and uh, take the gloves off a little bit, uh, so to speak. We have talked about systems buying rural hospitals many, many times on this show, on the podcast, but we really haven't gone into detail on just how it happens, right? We've heard you tell stories of people coming in and talking about, oh, it's going to be so great for Hillside Hospital. And we're like, well, where is Hillside Hospital? Because right. you're at Hillsdale Hospital, right? Or Hillsboro. So, yes, right, right. So you hear, hear we, we've told a few stories of that, of uh, yeah. people trying to, you know, court the hospital to, to be sold. Um, but there's more to it than that, right? You know, I wish you would have prepped me for this episode because I would have taken – uh, some copious notes over the last couple of weeks to be prepared. But I think, you know, we can give a pretty decent overview of what's happening. And we, you know, to your point, we have not really aggressively jumped into this issue, but I think it's time. Right. And the reason for the timing is there's a lot of things changing in the landscape uh, in healthcare, and specifically as it pertains to rural health. Right. And so goes rural health, so goes America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've heard from speakers throughout this program uh, who have presented about what happens to the economies, mm-hmm. uh, to the communities, and to the health and right. wellness of the patients and the community members who live in communities where hospitals, uh, unfortunately, are either closed or merge and, and the services are uh, sent elsewhere. Um, so what we know, and we've been talking about this since the inception of the podcast, since 2010, we've had over 130 closures of hospitals across America. You know, and if you look at it, you're looking at 11-year spread. Uh, you're thinking, okay, you know, that's not very many hospitals, 12, 13 a year. That's significant. One hospital closure, Rachel, uh, and think about it in the context of what it can mean to the economies in those communities. So let's take that. Let's just set that aside mm-hmm. because we're really not here to talk about what the number is today, even though we know it's growing. Now, why is it growing? Well, because the landscape changed with COVID. Hospitals that were already operating on a very small margin lost revenue, mm-hmm. significant revenue, well before the government could come in and bail them out. Right. Okay? They were already operating on days, not weeks, not right. months, not years, but days of cash on hand, just mm-hmm. like several days. And so when you lose that funding stream, which is general surgeries, patients who come in to use your services, and why weren't patients doing that? They were afraid. You know, they thought the the number one place I'm going to contract COVID is in the hospitals. And so, you know, the ORs are shut down across America. State after state were issuing, you know, decrees that no one could get surgeries unless they're, you know, emergent surgeries. And so electives all went away and mm-hmm. physicians were scared. They were. Hospital administrators were scared. Uh, CRNAs administering, you know, anesthesia were scared. And so we didn't know what we didn't know. And so the closures happened. And as a result of that, with the surgeries being, you know, shut down, we see the economic impact of the hospitals mm-hmm. and those hospitals that had no operating cash folded. Right. That happened. Right. Or they're folding today because a year later, they're still not able to make it. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody understands that there's all these billions and billions of infusions of cash. There were so many stipulations, so many requirements. Mm -hmm. So the reality of that is if you weren't in in a good position when COVID struck, most likely you're on right now a pathway for closure. 
mm-hmm. sadly. So what happens in that case? Well, in the particular case of a economic reason why the hospital has to close, you have no cash, you had a huge lawsuit that took out your reserve and those type of things. Well, it is understood that you really only have one option, right? Right. I mean, obviously you have to sell your hospital or you have to close your hospital. Right. What we're talking about today is not those issues, not those emergent issues. We're talking about a pretty healthy organization who is approached by a system, okay, the big S word. Mm -hmm. And a system can be, you know, a single system where it's just one big system Mm -hmm. and really no other ancillary hospitals. Or it could simply mean the extravagant understanding of system, which is system with hundreds of tentacles Mm -hmm. that go off. And so as a result of that, when we talk about systems, it could mean a variety of things. Right. Okay. So what what we're really focusing on today as we look at it is, you know, what is happening when a hospital, let's just say like ours, Mm -hmm. is approached by a system. Okay. We are dealing with a pretty separate issue than I've already established about we can't make it, so we need someone right, to come in. Right, Not selling because it's a last-ditch effort. It's Correct. a lifeline. This right. is in a different Absolutely. landscape that we're talking about. Absolutely. Because in those particular cases, they're what we call fire sales, right? Right, right. The hospital usually sells well below its value. And mm-hmm. so I want to talk about the sale, though, first. Let's talk about those sinister men and women who have companies that sell hospitals. Okay? Now, they're not going to like this podcast. They're not going to like to hear me say this, but I've dealt with them my whole career in healthcare, and and who whose interest do they have at stake in this? Whose interest do they have at heart in this? Their own. Why is that, Rachel? Because they're selling the hospital to another system. Where do they get their profit and their money? Off of a sale. It's a commission on a sale. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're incentivized to. So when I hear companies, at whether I'm at a forum speaking at a conference, and it's like, let's talk about, you know, ways to save the rural hospital. And I get in those meetings, and this has happened dozens of times, honestly. Or you get a webinar, how to save rural America, and you click on it, Mm -hmm. and you know what it is? It's these shark companies who are on here saying, well, and they perceive that the only option to save rural health is to sell your hospital. And that is wrong. It is, it is at, fundamentally, it's wrong. Uh, For the community, it's wrong. Uh, It's never right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to explain a little bit more of that in this podcast today. But the the benefactor of a sale, clearly stated, first and foremost, is a broker. Yep. That's it. Right. The second benefactor is the big system who swallows up the health system, mm-hmm. hospital, critical access, whatever it is, rural hospital, whatever it is. The system benefits Next now on the feeding line, okay? So so you've got the companies who are out selling their wares by marketing as ways to save your hospital. Right. And then you get into these meetings and it's like mergers and acquisitions are the only way to save rural health. And you know what? They say that, Rachel. Oh, I know. And it they angers do. me because that is stinking thinking. Well, it depends on what they mean by save rural health because if they mean physically keep a building open that's labeled a hospital, then okay, that might be happening. But if we're talking about ensuring the access to health care and positive health outcomes and better health outcomes for rural communities, 
it's the opposite. Absolutely. And so, and they do that, right? They So so you get thinking, is this a good move? You know, we could have this word called synergies. Absolutely not. And we're going to learn today about what happens when these companies come in, the big systems. So your third party comes in, they broker the deal, the big system takes over. The big system never looks at the little system and says, you know what? We like what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. That does not happen. They call it economies of scale. They call it that opportunity for them to, what is it? Corporate downsizing. Access to capital. Okay, and my favorite. You're going to have access to capital, Jason. Really? Has anyone ever toured Hillsdale Hospital? If it's listening to the podcast, you will know. We have a beautiful facility. We invest in our infrastructure every year. We invest in state-of-the-art equipment. I don't need access to capital. No company, big system, has come to me and ever said, true, true story. JJ, we're most interested in keeping your services in Hillsdale, and we're most interested in ways that we can partner to do that. And we do heart surgery. You don't do heart surgery. We do X. They don't do that. It's always access to capital, you know, better patient care. And then when you start drilling down, how is it better patient care? They cannot articulate it. So they get back to access to cash. Mm -hmm. Now, For a hospital that's financially struggling, that's maybe been on the hook for a few years, that has a few days cash on hand, and okay, I can see the need in those particular cases. And there is probably the hospital is going to close. Mm -hmm. Um, But in cases where they're looking for the synergies to combine hospital systems, to make it better for the patients, it never ends up being better for the patient. The patient ends up driving further, Mm -hmm. paying more. Mm -hmm. We know this for a fact. Yep. And most likely, not in all cases, most likely the health outcomes are not going to be as high as they are in places who are watching it every day like a rural hospital does. Right. Now, why do we do that? Because we, I know my patients. I get comment cards every day after they leave my services that I read. I can make changes today. Mm-hmm. Systems takes months and years to make changes. So when we see a deficiency, we can correct it. Now, I'm not generalizing that no big systems can get work done. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is don't let anyone fool you, the listener, that if a hospital system takes over your small hospital, that you're going to have reduced costs and better access. It does not happen. You are brought into the system, okay? So the reason we take our gloves off, Rachel, is because Rachel's more prevalent than it's ever been. And why is that? COVID-19, as I just shared with you, as well as the uncertainty of some of the boards at these hospitals who are getting nervous. Mm -hmm. You know, these are folks that are sitting around looking at balance sheets that don't look so good, reserves that don't look so good, and they get nervous because they are the the guardians of healthcare. Mm -hmm. Think about it. It's not you or I. Right. You know, we're the the responsible party for the day-to-day operations. But at the end of the day, policy... Does a hospital sell or not sell? It really rests with the board of trustees. Mm-hmm. So what, what I have found since the very short time that I've been here is people are using other agents to reach out to my board members. Have it happen all the time. I, I've had two or three board members come to me and say, so-and-so works for this company who does mer- – and they're getting ready to a big deal over in City mm-hmm. X and they want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Not interested. Um, and or that big system – comes to an event here, let's just hypothetically say that the CEO of the big system comes to an event here because you're dedicating something to the previous CEO and says to your physicians, hey, I would like to have lunch with you sometime and talk about ways in which we could build a better program. Wow. That's pretty bold 
if you ask me. I was going to say underhanded, but bold is a it's pretty bold. good word. And we're seeing more of that. And it's more of this shark-like attack. And it's more of when they see small rural hospitals struggling uh, in communities, it's a time for them to devour. Mm-hmm. It's not the question of what can we do to save the healthcare. You never hear that. How can we save your hospital? It's always, how can we purchase your hospital? Right. How can we acquire your hospital? And there are no winners in that. Right. Patients suffer. Cost gets driven up. And right now, um, you know, the Biden administration has taken a pretty firm stance mm-hmm. on, you know, some of some of the things that are happening with the Antitrust Act and what's happening with hospital mergers. Right. He's taken a, he's taken a watchful eye on this. And I think that you're going to see more and more scrutiny mm-hmm. uh, towards these type of deals that are happening. Because why? Two big systems that are not even connected geographically that merge. Both of them own a health plan. What's going to happen to pricing? Right. It's going to be controlled, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Now, there can be people. It's a numbers with, game. It's a numbers. It's about how many covered lives do we have, right? It's about headcount. And and part of the problem with that, too, is then when you have the – when these larger systems come in and, you know, as I like to refer to it, swallow up yeah. rural hospitals, it's not about those patients. It's not about improving the health outcomes for the patients in that rural community. No. It's about being able to count them in their tally so when they go back to negotiate with the Pricing. commercial insurers, they have more negotiating power. Absolutely. That's all it is. We have- it, well, I say that. That's all it is. It's that and it's big fat bonuses for yeah, the is. leadership yeah, of the some of those health systems, which you know, is I'm really amazed. sad to think about. Yeah, and they have to report those on their 990, right? And so, you know, there there are incentives out there, Rachel, right now for executives. 100% of their pay mm-hmm. uh, is bonused. And executives those, who are already making over a million dollars a year. Absolutely. And well and over. and so you're so so when you take the totality of those situations, you know, the bold moves of coming to events and trying to court your board members and your doctors, apart from the CEO who's saying absolutely not. Right. And they know that they're not going to get through this wall, try to go around you because they know, well, if I can just convince the board member to come and bring this back. And it happened. My colleague, not too far from here, same thing happened to him by the same company, uh, you know, trying to court board members, trying to court doctors. Uh, and that's problematic, you know, because then they get some type of backdoor approach. And all of a sudden now we're, we're cast into this significant conversation. And so, Many times, though, it's not that bold, mm-hmm. okay? There's, you know, some subtle tactics that are used. And, you know, it's it's subtle and it's about pulling a little bit of that market share away from the independent community hospital. Uh, many times the local providers in that community mm-hmm. who are independent practitioners, mm-hmm. who are living truly paycheck to paycheck. And I say that with all sincerity. Right. During, I mean, th- some some of our providers were still paying their employees did you know that while COVID was occurring and their offices were shut down mm-hmm. because they cared and loved their employees so much? Right. So they were truly, I heard from providers, it's, it's tough, JJ. It's very tough. And this was before any infusion of PPP dollars came. No one knew that that was coming. Right. And so, you know, we see that those duplicative services show up in a rural community because the big systems come in. Um, they, they spin off patients. And local hospitals that's already providing that service. Now, what they do, primary care, specialty care, they come in a little more subtle. Maybe they offer a nice shiny toy, right? Something Mm -hmm. glimmery that looks good. And it seems innocent, right? But why did this large health system feel the need to bring that simple little service into a local community? Why is that, Rachel? Well, 
you would think a lot of times that that would be about bringing access for a service the community doesn't already have, right? But if the community already has it, well, okay, that can't be the reason. Um, Is the quality better and the community is legitimately suffering in their health because there's a quality issue? Could be, but oftentimes that's not the case. We've talked a lot about the high quality that rural Absolutely. hospitals provide, and We've you can't experts, use that PhDs. as a yes. You can't use that as a as a way to say, oh well, it's rural, so the quality is poor. No. That's not true. Oh my goodness, far from. Um, so to me, you know, what other what other motivations are there? Well, if you have a rural hospital or smaller community providers that you are interested in. Uh, acquiring or you want to get the patients out of their community up into your community, an hour away, 45 minutes away, an hour and a half away, whatever it is. So maybe you say, oh, we're going to come in and we're going to provide mobile lab services for people in this community. So if you need a blood test, come over here and, and we'll give you your blood test. And then you get your blood test. And then they say, oh, when was the last time you had a uh, screening for lung cancer? Oh, you haven't? You know, that's a really good idea for you to do. You're over the age of 55. Here, we can get you scheduled for that. And they schedule you for that up at the mothership, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now you're going there for a screening. And then after that screening, they're going to connect you with a physician who's going to read your scan. And then you're going to have an appointment with that physician. And before you know it, every time you need health care of any kind, you're driving 45 minutes or an hour because everything else is now being taken up there. So there's one little thing that it looks like, oh, I'll, I'll get this service here today. And then your local community providers or hospitals never see you again because they're really just bringing that little service in there to start siphoning people off and start pulling people up to their location. Now, We've talked about many times transportation is a major challenge for healthcare in rural communities sure. when you're trying to get to the hospital in your own county. Correct. So then when all your healthcare is starting to happen further away, it becomes more and more of an issue that is not a benefit to a patient. It can be more expensive to a patient depending on whatever way they do figure out to get to those appointments. Um and uh, like we've talked about, that does not benefit the community because now your money that you're spending on your health care is being spent in another community, paying wages to people in another community, paying property taxes to people in another community. So your money is leaving mm-hmm. and it's not in the name of better health outcomes for your community, not in the name of better health outcomes for you. It's in the name of you're a number and we need your number on our side of the tally. We need to be able to count you. Yeah. You are now under our, when we look at population health management, you're now under our covered lives and we're going to report that. So when we go to negotiate uh, to our payers, it's going to be, look at all of these patients and the panel that I have. And this is why you're going to pay me X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. You know, negotiating power for smaller hospitals doesn't exist. Right. We don't. We take what is given to us. Mm -hmm. And so that is one reason. The second reason is, of course, if they get the patient up there to those systems, then they get everything from that patient, from the ancillary to you name the high-end surgeries, and they get that patient covered. Now, Rachel, you're clearly telling me a hypothetical situation. Oh, those, of course. Those certainly don't. But It's just, based on real events that have happened correct. in rural communities all over America Including for years. <laughs> yes. In fact, during my rounding uh, as a new CEO nearly a year and a half ago, uh, I went around to all of my physicians in the community and had a series of questions for them. And the majority of the comments were this. What are you going to do about XYZ systems 
that when we make a referral, we never see our patients again. Yeah. More and more common than it's ever been than today. It's happening all around us, and this is how it starts, Mm -hmm. Um, is you think, well, we don't do heart surgery here, so let's send them to System X. System X is, they'll take the heart surgery, but they'll also imply to them, well, you need, no, 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 no. Hillsdale can't do that that surface. When we can, always ask the question of your listener today, you know, if you are being told that Hillsdale can't offer a particular service, call Hillsdale Hospital because outside of, you know, lung surgeries and outside of brain surgeries and heart surgeries, guess what? We can do just about everything. We're doing it, right? And so don't say to yourself, um, well, I'm going to believe System X because after all, they know better. And what we find is people are diverted from their local healthcare system. And then it's pretty soon, well, the hospital doesn't do the the testing correctly. No, we need it this way. I've had, Rachel, and I'm being truthful, hundreds Mm -hmm. since my time here in 11 years, hundreds of people call me to tell me those exact scenarios. Well, System X said that you guys can't do X. Absolutely. We've been doing X for years, for decades. We can do it. We'll do it. And then I empower the patient to tell them, no, I'm getting that done at Hillsdale. And so you see that small, shiny, beautiful service that seems so innocent come into the community, yet it has such devastating impact on the economies in that community and the health outcomes of that patient who can't now drive 45 minutes to get their health care. Right. Very, very concerning. But we're seeing it more and more every day. So another, again, kind of sinister tactic that we see is when systems try to sort of buy the loyalty of smaller community providers with promises of resources um, or maybe a free top-of-the-line electronic medical record, right? If if a small provider can get access to a really nice, really streamlined, commonly used EMR, that's a good thing for them. It's outrageously expensive, so they almost never can afford it. But then this little system comes in and says, oh, no, we just want to be a good partner, we're going to give you this for free. We just want to make sure that you have the tools you need so we can be good partners and work together. Does that really end up benefiting the small community provider, JJ? I've n- I have not seen that happen uh, where it has a significant benefit. In fact, uh, some of those uh, decisions and some of those transactions are actually under review uh, right now by the Department of Justice mm-hmm. uh, for violation of certain uh, statutes. Like the, Stark laws? Yeah, absolutely. It's basically an anti-kickback well, the anti-kickback statute. anti-kickback statute, and, and Stark is is pretty straightforward mm-hmm. about what you can and can't do, and there's certain provisions within it right. uh, that do allow for certain uh, gifting, I guess I should say, or discounts. Um, but they're under strict review because that is usually often the, the carrot right. that gets you to the table. Because after all, how many rural hospitals can afford a $9 million uh, electronic medical record system? Very few. Very few. But how many new doctors coming out of medical school expect a brand new EMR? Right. All of them. And so you're put in a very bad position. You can't go out and afford to purchase a $10 million system. So the big systems come in and they have leverage to mm-hmm. be able to say to you, well, we're going to give it to you under, let's say, a Community Connect agreement. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to discount it under the law 85%. Wow. So you just took a $10 million system and you're going to give me $8.5 million worth of services and system. And all I have to come up with is just a fraction of that for 15%. Right. And I can spread that over three years. Well, it's very appealing. Right. So we do the deal and you get them in. But it doesn't end there. 
it's then conversations about, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That doesn't match up with our lab system. And you know what? We need to, we need to manage your lab. Oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. We want you to be part of our physician hospital organization, our PHO now. And we, we are going to give you all this access. And pretty soon, all of your doctors migrate over to their system, PHO. And everything then goes. So here's what I say. You know, so goes X, so goes your hospital. Right. So so goes your EMR, so goes your mammograms, so, go, so goes your hospital. The minute you give up some autonomy in any of those areas to someone who only has the interest of building bigger, Okay, not of the interest to protect the patient population or to have better health outcome. It's just to get bigger, right? Which, that's, to be clear, getting bigger is about dollars and cents, and it's about it money is. in the pockets and the personal bank accounts yeah. as bonuses and Absolutely. big fat salaries and paychecks Absolutely. to the people who are doing this, Absolutely. who are leaders, quote unquote, hundred percent, and are really causing damage to rural Americans. And we're seeing that more and more now, and that's why we take the gloves off today. Because we're watching it happen even in our own community mm-hmm. where systems are coming in to offer free this and free services and courting us here and there and trying to have those conversations. And we're putting up the brick wall saying, no, we know that we are an independent hospital. Now, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. We're not putting sandbags up, Rachel. Mm-mm. We're interdependent. I've shared that many times, which means I have partnerships with Borges Ascension. I have partnerships with ProMedica and other places. I have have a partnership with a hospital an hour and 45 minutes from here in the heart of Fort Wayne, Indiana for for services. And so why do we do that? Why do we – so wait a minute. You have partnerships, JJ, with big systems? Yeah, they're partnerships. Right. And we vet them. It's not just we're going to come in and take you over or or we need to merge and acquire you. It's systems that come up with truly – some humbleness of saying, how can we help? Right. Because we all benefit when we have greater access for healthcare. Mm-hmm. That is not heavy on the minds today of major hospitals. They're looking at building bigger and bigger to acquire more and more, to have access to those covered lives, and to, again, as you indicated very clearly, to benefit themselves. Mm-hmm. And that is so, it's disgusting. It is. It is. It's really it's disheartening and it it gives the industry a bad name. And this is why one of the things that I say to our new employees when I teach general orientation, because I teach about patient experience. And part of that is setting the stage for basically what is the state of rural health care? And one of the things I tell them is that, you know, the cost of health care for patients continues to skyrocket, yet we struggle to get paid. And that is a huge issue, while at the same time, we have people, whether they're CEOs of commercial insurance companies, whether they're CEOs of these massive hospital systems, sometimes they're statewide massive hospital systems, sometimes they are national massive hospital systems, people who are making multiple millions of dollars a year, yet yet we have rural hospitals that are folding because Mm -hmm. They can't get paid. Yeah. Right. This is a moral problem that America has got to address because we know that 20 percent of Americans are rural Americans. So if we don't deal with this, we're basically dismissing their health needs and saying, you know what? Yeah. um, Dr. Slonim's study that we saw, Dr. Tony, um, a couple episodes ago, his study that showed that uh, premature death is higher and more frequent in communities that don't have a local hospital, 
if we're not going to take care of this issue and really start looking into this and do something about how these things are happening, we're basically saying, yeah, we know that, but we don't care about Mm -hmm. you, Mm -hmm. rural America. We don't care about you, rural Americans. Just figure out a way to drive 45 minutes and good luck to you. Absolutely. And so, Rachel, you know, it's when, when you consider all of that, the other aspect of this is I'm going to be very candid today. We're taking the gloves off, right? Yep. They're not community friendly. No. You know, think about all of the community benefit we give back to this mm-hmm. community. Let's think about the economy that we build in this community. We buy our, our food from Brett Boyd at Market House. We, we have local businesses, you know, like Aeroswift and all of those companies that we support. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all gone. When a big system comes in, all that gets outsourced right. to— That to, economies of scale means we, we do that, bring that back. somewhere else. We bring that back to we our We take mothership. that business away from the small businesses Absolutely. in your community. That's so what that is. So your community's devastated by it. Your local providers who are trying to make it independently are annihilated mm-hmm. because now it's the big systems come in. And so then you have the other component of this. There, We work with patients every day who can't afford to pay their bills. Mm-hmm. We set them up on payment plans. We do charity care. You will not see the level of support at a large system that you do in rural communities. I can mm-hmm. promise you that. We're, we're intricately involved with patients who come in with life circumstances. We don't, we don't send it and say, well, you're going to pay it regardless. And we don't just say, well, if you don't pay it, we're going to do this. No, we give options mm-hmm. and opportunities for individuals to make their payments here because mm-hmm. we understand what we're, what we're in in this environment of right. a very poor rural community. Mm-hmm. And so the big systems don't care about that. No. They're stationed up in big cities and metropolis areas. And you know what? They have they have a lack of reality about what we face in these small communities. Mm-hmm. And I've often asked big systems, uh, CEOs, so tell me, do you get, you know, disproportionate, you know, share funds from what? Dish funding? I I'm, I don't know what that is. Oh, or do you get the OB stabilization money from the state of Michigan? What is that? Oh, honestly. Right. Because that's how I live. I right. know that I'm going to get – X amount of dollars. That's from an my important dish fund. part of our financial cash flow. Absolutely, I know that I'm going to get OB stabilization money from the state of Michigan that equals this. I know what sequestration means at the federal level and what's impact on me when they take it away. Uh, I know what all that means. But when you have access to all of that cash, you're all you're thinking about is buying more, getting bigger, buying more, mm-hmm. getting bigger. We know of of the struggles and the trials and and truly tribulations. Uh, that rural hospitals face to provide quality care in their community and and access, which is so important when you're talking about heart attacks, strokes, other things that 45 minutes away is right. life or death. Absolutely. And that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with life and death situations. We're dealing with economies and communities that if they do not have the support of their third largest employer, like ours mm-hmm. in the community, some are some are number one employers, right? In in small rural communities, they that's it. And if you lose that, so goes your community. Mm-hmm. Is that what our listeners want today? I don't think so, Rachel. <laughs> I, I think what our listeners today are are contemplating is how do we fix it, right? And the way we fix it is we say we, we can sustain this if we have some loyalty, right? Patient loyalty. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that they're just coming to us because we expect them to right. or because we're convenient or local. No. Not as we an be- obligation. No. We better be producing. Our quality better be high. Our pricing better be good. We have to earn that loyalty. You have to earn it. And time and time again, 100 years later, here we are. Mm-hmm. And and we have proven ourselves time and time again. Big systems, they have no connection 
who have no history that come into small communities, they don't have they don't have that connection. And so what we know is preserving rural health is preserving rural America. Well, on that note, thank you for joining us for today's mini-sode. Next time, we will do another mini-sode next week, and we're going to talk about the right way for systems and independent rural hospitals to work together for the good of the rural Americans they serve. Because as JJ mentioned, we want to be clear, the message is not all health systems are bad. The message is there are some very sinister tactics that some health systems are using that is to the detriment of rural Americans. But we also have seen incredible programs, partnerships, relationships that independent rural hospitals have with large systems that are creating excellent scenarios and improving health outcomes for rural Americans. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. And that said, if you have a topic or issue that you want us to cover on a future mini-sode, shoot us an email at marketing at hillsdalehospital.com. You can also find Hillsdale Hospital on Facebook and Instagram. And as a reminder, we are collecting patient testimonials to be featured during our Voice of the Patient segment. If you have an experience to share about the positive impact you or your loved one has had as a patient at a rural hospital or healthcare provider, call our direct voicemail line at 269-447-1265 or email marketing at hillsdalehospital.com and share your story with us. You just might be featured on a future episode of Rural Health Rising. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel's at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by JJ Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more interviews like this and more information or to share your patient or family testimonial with us, visit ruralhealthrising.com.